when Jesus says, you know, when you pray, this is how you should pray, we really want to, we really want to listen to what he says there because Jesus, God the Son, had a connection with God the Father uh, like no one ever before or, or since. And, and he, he really knew how to talk to God. So we, we want to hear what he says. Lately, we've been looking at a series called Gospel Shaped Outreach, and we've been trying to build up a picture of what Gospel Shaped Outreach looks like for our church. And today, we're looking at Gospel Shaped Prayer. Testing. Okay. Look. The heart of it is this. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does it look like to pray like this? A gospel-shaped prayer that keeps us vitally connected to the vine and bearing much fruit? Well, there's one thing I've noticed about Jesus' ministry is that he always met people exactly where they were at. It's why he actually came and presented so differently sometimes, speaking with different people. To the humble and the broken, he poured forth mercy and gentleness. To the proud and self-righteous, a stark, sometimes harsh reality check. He always met people exactly where they were at with exactly what they needed. And here, he perceives something in our situation, I think. Something that he wants to address and, and, um, and fix for us. He sees what I think is a wrong posture, wrong priorities, and a wrong pattern for living. So by our posture, I mean how we come before God. You can see this in um, verse 5, just before our reading today, and, and picked up again in verse 7. He talks about the Pharisees, who in this case he jumps straight to referring to as the hypocrites. They come before God with a posture of pride, chest-beating. Um, they pray to be, uh, to, to be noticed, um, to show their own righteousness. Uh, they pray to impress. You know, they were such upright people. Surely God would be impressed by their prayers. Then he talked about the Gentiles. They had a posture of dealing, manipulating. Repeat the right words enough times and you get what you want. The gods don't love you, but you could twist their arms if you're really clever about it. That's our wrong posture. By the wrong priorities, I mean what we put first, what we desire most deeply, our heart's treasure. I think sometimes we're too busy trying to establish our own little kingdoms to look up and see that God is calling us into his great kingdom. And by the wrong pattern or wrong pattern for living, I, just, I mean how we live, our way of living and of being. We find ourselves turned in on just meeting our own needs, stuck in unrepentance and unforgiveness, all whilst also stuck neck deep in our own sin as well. So Jesus sets for us in this prayer a new posture, a new priority, and a new pattern for living. 
And the prayer he gives us to establish this new posture, priority, and pattern has a symmetry to it. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, it actually mirrors very closely with those. First, lifting our eyes to God's glory, and then uh, looking back down to the needs of ourselves and our neighbours. So first, eyes up. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then with a renewed perspective, eyes back down. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Uh, deliver us from evil. But before we get into this new posture, priority and pattern, I want to give an encouragement. Don't be afraid of praying this prayer or even praying often for the fear that some people pray it mindlessly without really paying heed to what they are asking. I mean, you wouldn't pass on participating in communion because some people take it too casually. You wouldn't stop singing worship songs because some people sing without really considering the words. And you wouldn't stop giving generously because some people give with the wrong, with the wrong motivations. This prayer for us is a gift. And when we pray it rightly, it's a gift for all people. It is the gospel-shaped prayer. Our new posture. The Pharisees prayed to be seen. The Gentiles raved on to be heard. But Jesus gives us a new way of approaching, of approaching God as children of our heavenly Father. He starts the prayer with our Father in heaven. The word there for Father, he uses, is an Aramaic word, Abba. Not a title, but the word with which a child would address their own father. Sometimes people would say Daddy here to capture that feeling of closeness, but possibly Dearest Father is, is better. In the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 14 times. And even then, it's only ever used as reference to God being as the Father of the nation, Israel. No, no one ever called God their Father. The Jews recognized um, God as their father, like I said, but they would never call him Abba. And the boldest claim that they were willing to make is that Abraham is our father. And then Jesus turns up calling God my father all the time. Now, knowing as we do that Jesus is the eternal son of God, we're maybe not surprised to hear Jesus address God as Abba, father but that he would direct us to do the same, that's revolutionary. Now, we know the basis on which Jesus calls God Father, but on what basis are we supposed to call God Father? In John 1, uh, John describes it this way. Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's Jesus himself who, who makes it possible for us to call God Father, elevating us to being adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God, brought into the family as his own brothers and sisters. And what's more, the words, our father, he tells us to pray, not my father, reminds me that I've also been made a brother to each of you. 
So he directs us to come to God as Father, personal, relational, loving, accessible. Timothy Keller described it this way. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. So our new posture, we come to God not as a distant deity, but as our dearest father. But not just as father, as father in heaven. We're not to have that kind of familiarity with God that strips us of our awe. He's transcendent, holy, just, powerful, sovereign. You hear people say things like, I like to think of God as my best friend, or God is like a basketball coach cheering you on and helping you improve your game. Those things, they're not necessarily false, but um, they capture so little of the truth, they're, they're almost uh, barely worth saying. I, I think actually they can amount just to idols of God actually being made in our own image to suit our own preferences. God himself um, describes himself this way. In Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Not just Father, Heavenly Father, transcendent, powerful, perfect. So our new posture, humble, simple, loving, confidence. We know we can't impress or manipulate God with clever words or acts of devotion, but we also know that he overflows with love for us, that he's powerful to act, or as Zephaniah put it, mighty to save. We come as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. So that was our, that's our new posture, how we come before God. And now Jesus looks to set for us a new priority, what we treasure, what we put first. He uh, directs us to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So after having set us right for who we are, who we're speaking to and how we should approach him, Jesus moves to lift our eyes from our own little flickers of glory, from our own little kingdoms, to give us a new priority, God's glory and his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, he's calling us today to give up our own little kingdoms and our own flickers of glory. Kingdoms and glory are God's business. Ours is to trust him with those big things and to walk faithfully each day in the small things. He teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name, asking that his name, his character, his importance and his reputation be held in the absolute highest regard. That all would know and love and revere God as their father in heaven. Of course, We want his name to be glorified and honoured as it should be over the whole world. And it will be. But this prayer, like many, must start in us. We're asking God to work first in us that he might be 
rightly honoured in our lives. Imagine if God's name were rightly hallowed in my life and yours and in all our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus gives this encouragement. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Imagine the light that would be shone before men and the glory that God would rightly receive uh, if each of us were to honour him uh, rightly in our hearts. So how do we see that his name is hallowed in us? We honour him with our words and how we speak and especially in how we use his name. We hold thoughts about him that are worthy of him, that line up with who he is and how he has revealed himself in Jesus. We seek to know him deeper. We live lives that show his transforming power and reflect his abundant grace. And we make sure that he really is Heavenly Father each day in our hearts and our lives. Next we pray, your kingdom come. Similarly, in praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we pray that these things would be established first in our lives and then throughout the world. In fact, I think praying your kingdom come is a commitment to kingdom living, the manifesting of all the Beatitudes in daily life. I've come to think of uh, the Beatitudes as being kingdom living in enemy territory. Uh, Perhaps you're familiar with them. If not, um, a few of them, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, uh, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. But over all of these, though, I praying your kingdom come, is to live out this one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are praying here for a profound dependence on God. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we recognize our poverty of spirit, that we have nothing else of eternal value. You know, there will come a day when we needn't be poor in spirit, because we will be rich in God's spirit. There'll come a day when we no longer need to be hungry for righteousness. We'll be righteous. There'll come a day when we no longer need to keep our hearts pure because there'll be nothing to corrupt. And there'll come a day when we no longer need to be peacemakers because there will be no trouble. But for now, this is God's call to everyone given new life in Jesus. Um, This is what it looks like, kingdom living in enemy territory. But of course, we still look to the ultimate coming of God's kingdom. Uh, We don't expect to establish God's kingdom with our own hands and in our own lives. But we do want to see him reigning in our own lives. 
At the end of Revelation, Jesus makes this promise, surely I am coming soon. And John responds with these words, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, I think it's likely that we all have days where things are really difficult, where we can't see a way through, and we actually can't see things getting much better. When we're weary, we just think, do you know what? I just want Jesus to come back today and wrap this all up and take it from me and take me from it even. And so it's with heavy hearts we pray with the Apostle John. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I think maybe having a few days like that every now and then is good for us, at least to remind us not to get too much at home here. But what's even better are those times when all, or at least most, is well when things seem to be going right, when the work of your hands is beginning to be established, when the future seems bright and full of promise, and you look out and you imagine everything you could achieve in your life, and you think that that would all be so wonderful. But that if Jesus were to come back today, and that not a single one of those ambitions was to be realized, then they would all fade so much next to his glory that we could part with them no, with no more difficulty than one discards an empty chip packet. And so then, with grateful hearts, we can pray with the Apostle John. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Next, we are to pray, your will be done. You know, this can be a pretty scary thing to pray if you don't remember who it is that we pray to. But let's remember. You know, God is actually owed our trust inherently. But even if not, how could he have not earned it from us by now? Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is who we are praying to when we pray, your will be done. Besides, the only alternative to praying, thy will be done, is praying, my will be done, which leaves us constantly trying to control a world which is just beyond us. And I think the heart of praying, your will be done, is this. It's captured in Psalm 37. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, I don't want to conform God's will and his desires to mine, but I rather I want to see my will and my desires conformed to his. And then to pray with all joy, your will be done. So that is our new priority, seeking um, God's glory and his kingdom. Next, a new pattern for living, for being. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So if our self-sufficient, unrepentant, unforgiving, and utterly hopeless ways are what Jesus is looking to break us from, what is it that he presents to us? as a new pattern. 
It's daily, humble, but confident dependence on him for our every need, both physical and spiritual, both for us and for our neighbour, both now and forever. Listen again. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice the petition is always us. Jesus leads us here in a deliberate lifting of the eyes from a self-absorbed focus on my needs to a broader focus on our needs. Not just me, but my family, my church family, my community, my nation, the church globally, even a world of people made in God's image. The first thing we ask is for our daily bread. This, this has been um, explained in different ways um, to help us get what that's at. Um, I've heard it explained as this is our, our daily needs, not our daily greeds. I think that's helpful. As daily bread, not daily dessert. As a prayer for provision rather than prosperity. But I think the heart of it is probably captured best in the, um, in the request made in uh, the prayer in Proverbs chapter 30. Verses 8 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know, people are just as easily derailed by the too much as they are by the not enough. We're asking God here to give us enough for each day. So next we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, it sounds almost like Jesus is saying here that God will only forgive us as we forgive others. And just in case of confusion, he clarifies in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Surely not, right? The gospel is unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness, unconditional acceptance. Wouldn't that be works salvation? Well, first things first, I need to say that if our gospel differs from Jesus, from Jesus' gospel, then we can be confident that the problem is not with his. So we need to consider ours. Are we understanding something wrongly? Well, I'd like us to think of it this way. That forgiveness is not a righteous work to earn God's grace but it's a natural outworking of God's grace. Not a righteous work to earn God's grace, a natural outworking of God's grace. And I just want to encourage you that where Jesus gives the command, he also gives the capacity. But sometimes we struggle to forgive. You know, you want to, but the pain is deep. Let's pray that God would give us mercy that would reach even deeper still. And I just give you the encouragement that 
the fact that you even want to forgive, well, that's evidence that God's spirit is at work in you. I'd like you to consider this too. God's mercy for us is not a bucket of mercy, nor a pond, or even a lake. God's mercy for us is greater than an ocean. But it runs like a river. We can't dam up God's grace to keep for ourselves whilst withholding it from our neighbour. I've tried to capture it this way. God's grace must be new to us each day, not a one-time thing. But if it's to keep flowing to us, then it will also have to keep flowing through us. So ultimately, when we pray this, forgive us our, our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's ultimately a prayer for God's mercy. That God would give us mercy for our debts and supply us enough mercy also for those who need it from us. Finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It seems that temptation in and of itself is inevitable. And God can use it to sharpen us. That said, I would say that it's a fool who seeks it. And I think a wise man rightly fears it. But if that fear sees you running to Jesus, then you're all the better for it. So I don't think we're asking here that temptation wouldn't ever come. That we would never ever be tempted. But maybe it's better understood to mean lead us not into the clutches of temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or let us not go down the path of temptation. Keep us from turning to the left or the right. Because as Jesus said, we know that narrow is the road that leads to life. And that there are things that would ensnare us right and left. But while the road is narrow, God's mercy is wide. Wide enough to reach people who are far from that path and bring them back to it. And his mercy is deep and it's long. And we know that he can deliver us. Again though, I just want to point out that we pray, lead us not into temptation. We're to pray not only for our own protection and deliverance, but for our families and our church. Deliver us from evil. So our new pattern for life, daily dependence on him for our every need, both physical and spiritual, both for us and for our neighbour, both now and forever. You know, I think the heart of the gospel-shaped prayer is this. God's glory, our joy. And I think that actually happens to be the unofficial motto of our church. Uh, God's, God's glory, our joy, or God's glory, people's joy. When we pray this prayer, or when we pray in this way, we're praying that God would be glorified as he should, and that we would overflow with joy in him as we should. Who could ask for more? So our new posture, humble, simple, loving confidence. Our new priority, God's glory and his kingdom. 
and our new pattern, daily dependence on him for our every need, for us, for our neighbour, now and forever. Do you know, I, I think there would be something off about spending so much time considering this prayer this morning and not actually praying it together. Um, so I'd love us to pray this prayer together now, but I also want us to pause and reflect after each line. Um, you can then um, you can meditate on that line yourself and, and, and pray it just between you and God in, in your own way. Let's pray together now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's reflect. Let's pray for his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray for forgiveness and for mercy. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray for deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.